travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Over the years, Scott and I have drawn comparisons between living in Southeast Asia and what it must be like living in Europe. Both are made up of a number of relatively geographically smaller countries that share some similarities but are otherwise very different in terms of language, food, and cultural customs, to name a few. While we often make this comparison in regards to travel, as it's very easy, especially from Bangkok, which is geographically central to Southeast Asia, to travel to one of a half a dozen different countries on a flight of no more than one hour, we've never discussed the differences between living in some of those countries. Today we'll do just that, talking about expat life and how the experience differs between living in some of the different countries that I've personally lived in, with some insight contributed from Scott about his decades based in Thailand and traveling throughout the region for different work assignments and a stint in Kuala Lumpur when his wife was located there. So this is Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and with me again this week is my podcast co-host Scott Coates. How you doing, Scott? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm in Bangkok. And, you know, I, I, I've said it so many times on this show. I love how these episodes come about because we always think we're on the brink of having no more ideas. And then suddenly one comes about. And this is a pretty interesting one. I was surprised. I knew all the countries you'd lived in, but I'd kind of forgotten them. And you've actually, like, lived and worked quite a number of countries. I've done short stints in quite a number as well. And, yeah, I think we've got some interesting insights for people. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said in the intro there – we we have referred to, you know, living in Southeast Asia as kind of like Europe because you have all of these different smaller countries and, and it's so easy to hop between one and another and they have their own distinct food and, and language and culture. But there certainly are differences once you live there compared to just like going to visit for a few days. I mean, obviously it's different when you go and visit as a, as a traveler or a tourist. Um, but once you get to live somewhere and spend a little bit longer time, I think the, those cultural differences really come out. Absolutely. And I just want to preface this whole show by saying that Trevor and I do not profess to be cultural experts in any of these areas. <laughs> no. This is just our experience. So, you know, don't email us getting mad or whatnot, but do share your experiences. That would be great. So Trevor, we're going to go by country by country, but just to start, like, where have you lived and worked over the years? Well, okay. You know, this, I don't, I don't know the exact date, but it's right around now. I know it's in May. It will be 20 years since I moved to Bangkok. I moved to Bangkok 20 wow. years ago, like this week. And, uh, and then Bangkok was my home base for 17 years. That was my primary residence for, for the first 17 years. Uh, but during that time, I, I moved to Cambodia for short stints, uh, twice before mm -hmm. moving here now for the third time. I lived right. in Bali on two separate occasions. I lived in Seoul, <laughs> Korea on three different occasions. Wow. I, I did my MBA in Ho Chi Minh City, which was on and off for about four years. And, uh, and then I did some travel writing about Laos. So I spent a little bit of time there and I almost moved to Luang Prabang once or twice, but, uh, yeah, it, it is quite a few different countries and, and, and those were some great experiences. 
it's a lot of different countries and it's not just Southeast Asia. I mean, you spent some significant time in Seoul and then Bali for quite a while too. So yeah, you've really covered the area pretty well. You know, it's funny too. I, I, I was going to mention it a little bit later, but you know, Bangkok was my home for 17 years, but like when I went to Bali, it was for like a year and I'd go to Cambodia for like a year, but Bangkok was always my home, but I used to have going away parties for myself. Uh, I think you went to a few of those. Yeah, it, it it did become a bit of a running joke and a bit comical because you had so many as be like, okay, how many months till you're back again now, Trevor? Like you were never really moving away away. No, you know, it's funny now that I realize that I should have had coming back parties because I'd have these going away parties and all these people would come because they thought I was actually leaving. And then I would come back and then people would forget that I still live there. And and all the time, like the most common thing I heard was, oh, when did you get back? And I'd be like, like two years, you know, <laughs> you know, so I think I should have had coming home parties. So just to let people know I was back. Yeah, and I'm sure there's people that never knew you'd actually left, but they just saw you say nine months later and yeah, yeah I'm back, but they didn't yeah. know you'd gone anywhere. Yeah. So before we go further, hey, we do it every episode. Remind you to help us out with the show. If you are listening, you enjoy it, go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and you can help the show stay on because we cover all the expenses on our own. Hey, why not support the show for as little as a dollar a month upwards and, you know, help us keep it going, show the love. And Patrons get a special little bonus episode in between the regular episodes or links to videos or photo galleries. We give them some love. And Trevor, um, who's that guy that bought your board game? We have a super supporter, right? In Florida, I believe. Austin, who has been a supporter of our show for quite a while. And uh, we definitely appreciate his support and everyone else who has donated to the show. Uh, doing these extra episodes for our patrons has been quite fun and we're going to do a recording of a new one right after we wrap up this episode so if you give us some financial love you'll get uh, some special content yeah and don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to this and give us a big like please so i think we're just going to go through country by country we're going to talk about some of the key differences between the spots we've lived and worked in where we maybe felt a bit comfortable over other places some lesson learns and so forth so where do you want to start, Trevor? Why don't we start in Bangkok, since that's where you're at, and you yeah. and I both lived the longest. And uh, sure did. You know, this is a this is a tricky one because again, like it, it changes over the years. Things change, and and over 20 years, you know, living in Bangkok is certainly not the same today as it was 20 years ago. Um, but you know, one of the cool things I think about your experience in Bangkok is that like when I moved to Bangkok, I moved like right into the heart of the city, whereas yeah. when you moved to Bangkok, you lived out in the in the burbs a little bit more. Absolutely. I was out in the hood. I was out on what they call Ram Kamang Road. I spent my first 13 years way out there. And there was, I mean, there was a few other foreigners kicking around, but there was no Western food. It was super, super local, but I loved it. And you know, it really helped me learn Thai a bit. Everything's less expensive. I had a really nice flat with two bedrooms, big size, probably 110 square meters. And it was about 400 US a year for the whole time I was out there. And you know, um, the rental downtown. So after those 13 years, we moved to KL and then came back and then lived right in the core Asok. And I mean, the prices completely jump. And uh, now I'm on Satorn Soi Nung, also in the core, but it's, it gets as expensive, I'd say, as any major city. I mean, yeah. leave Tokyo and Vancouver and the most expensive ones out. But really, if you want Western accommodations, good size in the core, it's as expensive as any other global city. Well, and yeah, but there's still deals to be had. You know, I, I never spent more than $600 a month. And, and I had some pretty cool apartments. And I always lived pretty central, you know. 
Yes. Yeah, that's true. You can find great one bedrooms. Yeah, there's a good variety, I think, of, of accommodation in Bangkok. There is. If you can live a little local style, you can absolutely live very inexpensively. But I think if you want that Western style in the core, that that definitely costs. But you are right. There's all kinds of gems and there's some pretty good deals on one bedroomers and stuff like that. Yeah, there's even like little houses. Remember, if you want roommates, like I lived in a yeah. house with a pool for a while or you can live in a big fancy high rise uh, with with like a gym and a pool as well. So the food, I mean, what do you what, what do you find about the food living here? You know, I mean, that's one of the best things about living in Thailand. And, you know, when I, I worked on Satorn Road for a while, or Silom, in between Satorn and Silom, and there was just so much great food. Like, lunch is just, like, one of the best things. Like, just trying to decide what to have for lunch every day is, is just so amazing because there's these big open-air food courts. Uh, there's all these great street food vendors. Uh, you know, there's there's cafeterias inside of shopping malls that are, there's shopping malls everywhere in Bangkok. So just like the wealth of options for food, for lunch every day made like your work lunch break something special. Absolutely. And Bangkok nowadays has Michelin-starred restaurants. Yeah. You can eat for as much or as little as you want here. And that is one of the, the great things. When I lived out on Ramkampang, I really find if you're living out in the burbs, out in the outskirts, it's the best tasting food, but also the least expensive. And I was so spoiled in those first 13 years. I mean, down in the core, I didn't don't find it's as easy to find the super tasty jams. It's a bit more expensive. But you know what? You're right. Lunchtime, even when I was working just off Satuan, there's a place called the Pink Tent. And it's just a hot covered tent full of little vendors. And my wife and I here in COVID times will still blast over there for a feed. Nice. So food is without a doubt the best thing about living in Thailand, I think. Yeah. And then our next topic is kind of similar is getting around, you know, the, the best thing about Bangkok, living in Bangkok is just that you have lots of options. You know, there's the sky train, mm -hmm. um, there's motorbike taxis, uh, there's taxi taxis, there's canal boats. It just seems like if you need to get from A to B, you have a lot of different options depending on, you know, how much traffic there is, if it's raining or not, what time of day it is. The only thing is that the commute can be like a real commute. Like I, I took the train to work every morning for a while and it's just like jam packed and you're stuffed in there with all these other people going to work. So it can be kind of like a big city commute. Yeah, it can be rammed. And I think I've been a bit privileged in that I've been able to live close to my office, which in a city like this or say Jakarta or these other huge cities, if you can live close to your office, you're winning. But the one thing I do like here is all those different modes of transport, like you mentioned, is, okay, traffic can absolutely suck. But if you need to get somewhere, you can always hop on that boat you mentioned or the motorcycle taxi. So options abound. And I really like that part. How about work culture, Trevor? How What have you found about that in Thailand? You know, it's funny because now, well, I'm unemployed now, which is kind of funny too. So we could do an episode on being unemployed in Asia because, uh, you know, <laughs> having not having a job in Cambodia is somewhat different than not having a job in Bangkok. But uh, when I did have a job in both places, one of the things I remember about Bangkok is just that it was pretty serious, a, a bit more strict. Like you couldn't wear flip-flops to work in Bangkok, which you can pull off here in, in Phnom Penh. So like dress codes, um, I had a couple of jobs that had like fingerprint scanners for clocking in and out of work. Um, it's just a, a more strict and serious and professional working environment, I found. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's going to vary from if you're working from an international company or whatnot. But if you're working with a Thai company, yeah, there's those clock-in devices. It can be a bit stiff and serious. Yeah, I mean, expat companies, a little easier going. But yeah, it's a collared shirt. It's khakis at the very least. And I kind of wonder now how post-COVID will change this, right? Because people have been working from home. And I think this is going to be the story globally is when this is quote unquote over, I think it's going to soften up working culture. That'll be good. How about cultural customs and behaviors? This is a minefield. <laughs> yeah, this one was interesting. You know, I had uh, and and Thai culture is is it can't be challenging for foreigners. One of the things they have like a hierarchy where, generally speaking, like someone older than you, you're supposed to be more deferential to. You know, um, so one time I had a boss who was younger than I am, so just like that. That dynamic made it somewhat more challenging. But the other thing is that, like, there's this concept of like face, like saving face and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and there's a like conflict is very difficult. So even I had that boss who was younger than I was and we had a difficulty with dealing with problems in the workplace. So even though like my office was just like a couple of yards or meters away from hers, if I needed to talk to her about something that was contentious i would have to like send her like a chat message or something like by communicating through chat it it kind of diffused any sort of potential like face lots face losing scenarios i guess yeah and 19 years here and, and i still have not cracked the code i think it is extremely tricky to navigate the best word is to be soft don't raise your voice don't become visibly angry i recommend reading an old book now called working with the ties Mm. co-written by a friend of mine roy tamazawa other things like don't make physical contact with people don't be overly affectionate because they're really cautious of other people looking and and so forth so even a touch on the shoulder the thing is no one will ever tell you you've annoyed them or offended them or or pissed them off, which can be tough. Um, I mean, and even they can be happy one day and tell you everything's great and then literally not turn up for work the next day and you never see them again. I've had those experiences. Mm. So don't make people lose face. Don't get angry. Don't raise your voice. Be very sensitive. And I completely understand the meeting with your boss before that. That Yeah, that's tough. They like to avoid conflict at all costs. And that does make it challenging to troubleshoot problems. You know, like sometimes work doesn't go smoothly and, and that makes it more difficult to smooth it out. Absolutely. Like a quick, quick story on that is at my last job, I had booked a meeting room with my coworker for a very important piece of work that was highly time sensitive. Uh, We walked towards the meeting room at the time we'd booked it. It was still full of a dozen people. We sort of smiled and we walked away for five minutes. You know, they'd seen us, thought they'd get the hint, come back. They're all still sitting there and they kind of looked at us and we looked at them and it was really the only place we could do it. And their manager kind of happened to walk by and he said, hey, and we were very nice and we were very soft. And we said, hey, your name here. Are you going to be done there soon? And he kind of looked at us and said, well, well, soon. And we said, yeah, we kind of need the room. And he looked upset. And it turned out, I mean, the next day his boss came to us and said that we'd really upset him and caused him to lose face in front of all those people. But yeah. we were super soft. And from his point, we should have literally pulled him across the office into our room to talk to him about it. And it was very soft and not heated. But Mm -hmm. even that soft discussion, even though they had our room, he had become offended and lost face and he never liked us the same. It was broken after that. Yeah, that's too bad. So how about uh, visas and taxes? 
Yeah, again, that, that's changed a lot over the years. I For sure. That's one of the reasons I'm unemployed here and not there, I, I guess, right now. Because like back in the day, <laughs> well, back in the day, I, I found also like I was pretty good at finding little loopholes in the in the Thai laws in order to get visas to stay in Thailand when even when I was like freelancing and in between assignments and stuff. But I know that it got more strict for a long time. But now apparently, like if you get a job in Bangkok, you can use your work permit to do any type of work, uh, which is a great new development. But I know that like I've applied for some jobs in Bangkok recently. And uh, just because of the complexity of it, they would rather just hire someone currently living in Thailand than have to deal with trying to like get someone to 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 come to Thailand because of not just COVID, but because of all the, the paperwork and, and BS, whereas they could hire someone who's already living there, who already even has another job with a work permit with another company, and they can just snatch that person up now. This to me is one of Thailand's big shortfalls and it hurts them competitive wise. Now the laws were written 40, 50 years ago and there's nothing easy about being here. I'm not suggesting they just give out work permits, but it is laborious. It is antiquated and there's just nothing welcoming about it. Taxes are expensive too. It's scaled depending on your income, but starts at about 10% and goes up to 35%. If you work for what's called a BOI company, it's 14, but you get nothing for that. And what I always take offense to is as a taxpayer, I still pay like five times more to get in a national park. So yeah, yeah. I'm happy to live here and, and so forth, but you pay high taxes and you get nothing for it. Like if you have a kid, um, unless you're married to a Thai, they're not going to a Thai school. I mean, the taxes can be high and being here is never gets easier. It doesn't matter how long you've been here, the renewal process, it is antiquated and lots of paperwork and lots of paper paperwork with lots of photos. Yeah. And lots of photocopies of your passport. Yeah. It's a lot of bureaucracy, which I think is, is kind of a pain in the ass, huh? Yeah. And days off are another one. Like I've been fortunate to work for places that gave me a healthy number of days off and there's about 17, 18 Thai holidays a year, but Thai companies can give Thai employees six days off a year if they want to. And I've heard of ones that do. And to me, that is like, that's pretty tough. Yeah, I know. Again, I was probably lucky with my jobs and I did a lot of freelancing too. But uh, I had one company that bought me a round trip air ticket anywhere in Thailand once per year so that I could get a vacation to go to the islands and stuff Hmm. like that. And that that was a pretty good bonus. That's cool. That's really nice. Well, why don't we talk about the place you then, I would assume, know the most about after Thailand. That's uh, Cambodia. Yeah, you know, I I lived here twice before. Um, I wrote two guidebooks on two separate occasions, uh, one about 12 years ago and one about nine years ago. So I've lived here two times before. And now I've been here for three years this time. And now this is my home. And it's interesting how the city has changed and how living here has changed over the years. And it has gotten slightly more challenging in some ways, but it's still a very friendly place, I think, for foreigners to come and live. Yeah, I've had limited experience. I was very lucky. Uh, In addition to going there a few times a year for work and leading trainings, my wife lived there for about a year and a half. And I would spend one week every month or so there. And, you know, I I found Cambodians to be extremely hardworking, I think as a result of their storied history, no social system really. And they know if they want something, they got to get it. So the English is really good. I found them inquisitive, Mm -hmm. ask great questions and much more vocal and forward than the Thais but still a little reserved, uh, but losing face is still a concept. Yeah, you know, it's interesting there. It's somewhat similar to to Thai culture, um, but 
to, and again, I don't want to say anything that's going to offend anybody, but I, you know, I've always been very impressed with the work ethic of Cambodian people um, compared to some of the other cultures I've lived in. But not just that, they balance it really nicely with this kind of the sabai sabai style Thai relaxed, you mm. know, environment. So, you know, like if we're skipping ahead a little bit, just like in the workplace, I said earlier, like you can wear shorts and flip-flops to to work some days like if you don't have any meetings with anybody or something like that you know it's a bit more casual just across the board um but if we're sticking to our list of things to talk about housing is is an interesting one like i love my little house here um it's similar to it's similar to bangkok in that you can find cool little houses like this but we don't have a lot of big high rises like in bangkok i lived in a couple of like high rise kind of condo complexes and here you know you're, you're finding more like house styles and the other thing is like you can find super cheap rooms like i know it's somebody who's got like this like seven bedroom house for like 250 dollars a month that like a couple of people are sharing <laughs> it's ridiculous you know it's haunted um, by ghosts but <laughs> no no but, the, but but they're also like way more basic you know you can still get like pretty thai basic accommodation you know with like squat toilets and stuff like that in, in bangkok mm -hmm. right but in cambodia like some of the some of the cheaper places are pretty basic um one thing i do like about cambodia is most places have ovens here which an oven's harder to get in an apartment or a house in, in bangkok but uh and and i'm actually paying more here than i ever paid in, in bangkok uh, so uh, you know if you want to live in like a nice part of the city like i live near the royal palace um you, you're going to pay a little bit more yeah, I've limited experience. As I mentioned, my wife lived there and gosh, we probably looked at no less than 20 buildings. And again, we were living in expat style accommodations. And I'd say it was a bit expensive for, for something truly Western, maybe even with a pool. It's that city where there's there are Western accommodations and there's more of them, but they're limited enough that if you want that Western grade, it, it, it's going to cost you. Yeah, there's a good variety, though. I mean, it's different now, I guess, because yes. COVID, there's less foreigners here and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, pretty good selection. Um, as for food, it's not as good. I mean, nothing stands up to Thailand food wise. Um, so I find that I eat a lot more Western food here. Uh, I don't find the Cambodian food nearly as enjoyable as Thai food. So I don't like, you know, th there's some Vietnamese influence. So like I go out for pho, like noodle soup. Uh, quite often um, and I'll go out for Thai food I know a couple of really nice Thai places I like but it costs a bit more than than Thai food in Thailand might um, but I tend to eat a lot more western food here or cook I, I I've actually started to cook a lot more here which I never did in Thailand because in Thailand like why would you cook when there's so much good cheap food everywhere sure yeah the thing I found is that eating street food is just not really a go as a westerner mm. part of it is I don't know the dishes as well but the level of hygiene is I'm just not comfortable with it. And even if you go to a little shop house, yeah, that single dish of fried rice is probably 50% more than you'd have in Thailand. So your food budget is definitely going up. How about getting around, Trevor? Yeah, you know, Phnom Penh is great. It's great. It is. I mean, there's 2 million people in Phnom Penh. So it's like a relatively large city, millions of people. But it doesn't feel like a big city. It's like a city for people who don't like cities. So like I ride my bicycle almost everywhere. I have to go to the grocery store or something like that. So it's a very bike friendly city. Um, there's quite a lot less traffic. Um, again, if we compare it to like Ho Chi Minh city, which is just like a madhouse of motorbikes everywhere. Um, it's not anywhere near that, you know? So there's a lot less options for getting around. Uh, we have Ramox, which is like a, a motorbike with a little carriage on the back. It's like a tuk-tuk. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have grab, which is like Uber for tuk-tuks, which is pretty awesome. Um, 
But uh, a lot of people just buy or rent motorbikes. It's pretty easy to just zip around the city on a motorbike or, or a bicycle um, or even just walking. I live in walking distance to my former place of employment, and uh, it's just a much easier city to get around. Yeah, I agree with you on all points. The one thing I think is neat, they have those little three-wheeled kind of covered tuk-tuks now. And the, the mobile phone has made getting around so much easier because yeah. it's quite expensive if every ride you've got to negotiate yeah, with the driver cool. outside. Now with the apps, I mean, it's just based on distance and time, right? So you you wrangle up that app and it's gotten less expensive to use the apps. It's pretty much dollar to get anywhere, <laughs> which yeah. is amazing. How about work culture? Um, again, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's, it's a lot more casual, I think, than Bangkok. It's, it's a little bit more laid back and, and fun than Bangkok. I remember like, you know, we, we, there's always some sort of event and, and in Thailand, they do that too. Thai people are very fun people. So there's all sorts of like events or parties or, or this and that, um, in, in the office in Bangkok. But I think more so in Cambodia. Like we did for Valentine's Day, we did this thing like the bachelor and everybody got roses and we had to give <laughs> roses to women in the office and stuff like that. That. Um, so like everybody works hard and I think that's the bottom line. And that's something that, that I really appreciate is that as long as you get your work done and you do a good job, yeah, wear flip-flops, <laughs> you know, like stay, take, you know, take a longer lunch if you need to. Yeah. We like, we get an hour and a half for lunch in Cambodia on average. Whereas like, I don't think in Bangkok, most companies give you an hour and a half for lunch. And I think that might be something left over here from the French because the French take long lunches and they eat quite slowly, but it's casual and I like it. Yeah, I mean, I have limited experience, but I found them to be inquisitive, straightforward, hardworking. And, you know, they don't seem to get quite hung up on things as maybe you would in some other countries. But again, you know, don't touch them, don't yell, give people some space and, and definitely don't cause them to lose face. Yeah, they're less likely to lose face, though. Yeah. Oh, my work story. Yeah. So the, my last job, like the, the first day of work, uh, we were all going to go out to lunch together. And it was somewhat common that big groups of people would all go out to lunch together. And we go out to lunch and somebody's like, hey, do you want you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to order a beer at lunch on my, my first day. And then like, 10 different people had beers at lunch and it's not like they got hammered or anything like that. You know, I had like one or two beers at lunch. It's an hour and a half lunch. You eat a whole bunch of food and then, then you go back and you do your work. And I was just like, yeah, I kind of like, I like this culture. Yeah. I've had that happen. And visas and taxes. What's that like? Oh my God. It's so easy. It's super easy. You know, like, I mean, I just found out that, uh, I was, how do I get the COVID vaccination? You know? And they're like, well, you know, if you're not employed, because lots of people are now getting vaccinated through their employers, but I'm unemployed. So how can I get the vaccine? And they're like, oh, just go get a work permit, <laughs> you know, and like in most countries, like to get a green card or something like that, you don't just go down to the work permit office and pick one up. But apparently that's what you do. I just go down to the work permit office, Department of Labor, and uh, I'm self-employed and I just buy myself a work permit and then I can then I can apply for the vaccination apparently. But like visas are just as easy. You show up and you, you get a one-year visa pretty much, you know. Um, taxes are generally included in your salary when you're offered a salary. The the taxes are, are, are taken care of. You get what they offer you, you know. So just in general, I find that like from the foreigner's perspective, almost nothing that you really need to do. Whereas in Thailand, you're constantly having to go to some office somewhere and sit in line all day and wait and hand over all these documents. It's way, way, way easier here. Yeah, I've enjoyed even the fact that when you arrive, you can 
apply for a tourist visa or a business visa. And I've never really understood, like, why make it hard? Like, again, if you're not causing problems, all you're doing is you're spending money there. You're paying some taxes if you're working. You can't draw on the social system. So I kind of like that they've made it a bit easier. Yeah, it's good, you know. Um, So working's great. Days off, a little bit different. I mean, if I worked in Siem Reap, I'd go to, like, the temples regularly you know but here in the city in Phnom Penh Phnom Penh's starting to grow up a little bit you know like someone opened a flow rider you know one of those simulated surfing machines uh last year so I'm like cool you know we don't have like quite the options that a city like Bangkok has for things to do on your day off uh but you know there's some good day trip stuff uh it's it's you know I don't know I I like living here it's relaxing so every day is a day off now so I pretty much hang out at the pool now and swim but uh there's you know there's things to do we go on bike rides you can just go across the go across the river across the Tonle Sap and the Mekong rivers and and go ride your bike through some villages I bought a motorcycle recently so you can explore some little farther flung villages. It's, it's just nice to get out of the city and it's really easy to get out of the city. Like it's, it's, it's just across the river and then you're in the countryside. It's pretty cool. And I know another place you lived for a while was Ho Chi Minh city in Vietnam. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, that one was different. I didn't work there. Um, it was, I did my MBA there with the university of Hawaii and it was like a two year program, but I wasn't living in Ho Chi Minh city. I was living in Bangkok for the most part. And, and I was writing, one of my guidebooks in Cambodia over this period at some point as well. So, so my MBA took me four and a half years or so. Um, so I was going for like a month at a time every couple of months. So like suppose in a semester that's four months, I would go like one or two months that semester. And then the next semester I Hmm. would just go like one or two months. So I'd spend several months a year in Ho Chi Minh city. And, uh, that was, you know, 10, 11 years ago, um, and the city has changed so much and, and it's gotten so different because back then, you know, there were very few foreigners living and working or even studying. Like there was no such thing as a student visa. There was no such thing as a, as a foreigner work visa. I don't think certainly not for American people. So I imagine those things have changed, but, but it was very different. So what are the people like? Yeah. The Vietnamese people, I, I really just got to know my classmates um, who were mostly business executives and they were all very nice and friendly, but the culture is quite different than Thai and Khmer or even Lao, you know, because, uh, you know, Thailand and, and Cambodia, um, are very Buddhist countries and, and it, they're, they're very similar. And, and the Vietnamese culture is, is quite different. Like I was surprised the first time I saw like people get in a fist fight over like a minor traffic accident. And that was the first time I've seen a couple of fights over traffic accidents in, in hmm. Ho Chi Minh city. And you would you'd never see that here in, in Phnom Penh. And I don't think I've seen, I mean, sometimes you see some crazy stuff in Bangkok, but generally Thai people aren't going to fight over a traffic accident. I've had the occasion to lead some trainings, you know, for a few days here over a couple of weeks in Ho Chi Minh, Hanoi, and uh, Hoi An. And I found Vietnamese compared to, say, Laotians, Cambodians, or people from Myanmar, that Vietnamese are super to the point. They have no problem asking a hard question, putting you on the spot. I mean, they they get shit done. I think they're halfway to being Western in that sense. And, and yeah, I, they still don't want to be put in a position to lose face but yeah they will ask the question they will throw it at you they're they're certainly not as shy as some of their neighbors yeah that's probably a better way to say it because i don't want to give the impression that they're like much more aggressive or something like that but yeah they are more like straight to the point yeah and the other thing i found was that like 
they like Thai people and Khmer people and and even like Balinese people incredibly friendly right off the bat. Whereas like I found with with some Vietnamese people that like I needed to make an effort first to smile and be friendly, and then they would be like, "Oh, okay, you're you're friendly," you know. Whereas like at first they would look at me like, "I'm not sure about this guy." Whereas like in in a lot of other Southeast Asian countries, you, you, they just give you a smile right away. How about living? Where did you live when you were there? You know, I I lived in a hotel often or different hotels often because I just go for like a month at a time sometimes. And, and I got some really good deals and some really cool hotel rooms. But uh, I found a place on Craigslist with uh, an American guy from Boston who was a Vietnamese American. And uh, I, I rented a room from him for quite a while. And that was pretty cool. Um, so I, I, I don't know a lot about what it's like for your average person to live there. Um, but it wasn't expensive. I remember that. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it's just different. Eating food. I, I have some experience, but what was your experience kind of living there and, and eating day to day? Yeah. You know, like it, it, the food is certainly amazing. Right. And one thing that it has in similarity with Thai food is that there's like a million different dishes. Like you go to a restaurant and they got like 20 page menus, right? With like 500 different things. And then the funny thing is like, cause I would go out to lunch with my classmates or different groups of classmates. And they're like, oh, we're gonna go to this style restaurant today. And that would have like its 20 page menu. And then we'd go to a different style of restaurant the next day. And that had a totally different 20 page menu. So there was always like this incredible variety of food to discover. Like I'd never tried any of these things ever before. So it was always something new. Um, at the same time, it could be challenging to try and recreate that experience on my own. Whereas like in Thailand, like I, I or even here, like I, I'm comfortable going into any restaurant here, eating just about anywhere and finding something I could eat. But in Vietnam, maybe as a language barrier is a little bit more challenging in, in mm -hmm. Vietnam because not as many people in the city spoke English. But, uh, you know, there wasn't like, you know, in Bangkok, they have like these one dish lunch meals, right? And that are like common for them to sell you right. for lunch. I, I never really found too many things like that when I was in Ho Chi Minh. This is a while ago, of course. I agree with you. When you don't speak the language, it really limits you. I had some street food, and that was one thing that is nice, is there's lots of street food, and I, I got the feeling you could eat a fair bit of it. Um, I didn't get to know the dishes as well as I would like, but it's abundant, and there's lots of little mom-and-pop shops. I would pop in on my own when I was trying to figure out a city and get a good meal for a couple dollars US. And beer is cheap, which is great. Vietnamese love beer, and you can get a cheap beer with your meal too, which I really enjoyed. But we've kind of touched on it. How about getting around, Trevor? Yeah, you know, I mean, I uh, there's taxis, right? It's tricky because there's there's lots of different taxis, and then there's like these fake taxi companies and stuff, and that's something they have in Indonesia too, where you're like these are the good taxis that don't have meters that run super fast, but then they have fake taxis that look like those taxis that have really fast meters, right? Um, Otherwise, it's just crazy mayhem motorbikes. There's like so many motorbikes that they're driving on the sidewalks, like rush hour in the morning and in the afternoon was, was mayhem, you know? So, so getting around was kind of crazy. I, I like to walk. Uh, it's kind of a good city to walk in because they have some tree lined boulevards and, uh, it's a good way to kind of get to know a city walking around. Um, where I lived when I rented that room from, from Thai, uh, I had to, to get a cab in the morning into town. Um, but once you're in town, I, I kind of liked walking around just to, to get to know it just cause it was kind of crazy. 
Yeah, kind of like Cambodia, I'll say that for me, the apps for things like Grab and local oh, equivalents yeah. have changed the game because everywhere has Wi-Fi, so I'll be having a meal or a beer somewhere, connect to Wi-Fi, punch in where I want to go, see my motorbike, rock up, jump in. One thing I really like there is in the downtown core, they'll have representatives from a taxi company standing on the sidewalk, and you'll see them, hmm. and you just walk up to them and you tell them where you want to go, and they'll like flag down one of their taxis and tell the driver and put you in it. And wow. That always felt to me like a really cool kind of VIP service. They're just standing around downtown in Ho Chi Minh, and yeah, that that's really neat. Well, how about, I know you didn't work work there, but you're doing an MBA. What did you get as an impression of the work culture? Yeah, you know, the, everybody was very professional and, and hardworking. And I found it like I imagine if you had a job in Ho Chi Minh City, especially with like the people I did my MBA with, it would probably be closer to Bangkok in that they expected you to to tuck your shirt in and wear nice shoes and have a collar on, on your shirt more so than here in Cambodia. Um, but the thing that was the most noteworthy, I think, was what a collaborative kind of culture it was. And, and many of my professors even commented on that because these were professors from the University of Hawaii who came to Vietnam to teach the classes. And they were always surprised how like, you know, MBA programs are usually incredibly competitive. Yeah. But like, while I was taking an exam, like the people next to me would would ask questions about the exam that you just you don't you can't do that during an exam. It's like basically cheating, right? But they didn't even consider it cheating just because they have this culture that's very cooperative and they just assume that like, oh, you just ask a question during the exam because uh you help each other. That's what you do. Well, they're communists, right? So at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah. it's probably it. You know, I, I'm not an expert by any means on their customs and behaviors, but something I thought was kind of interesting is and, and I found this in Cambodia and Laos, and it makes sense, is don't compare the country you're in to their neighbors too much. I oh, found, yeah, no, never. Especially in Vietnam and especially in Cambodia, and, and it makes sense historically. Like, you don't mean it in a bad way, but it, they don't like hearing like, oh, you know, in Thailand we do this, or over in Cambodia we do this. So I think staying away from those comparisons, although it's interesting to you, and again, you just mean it on an observation level, they don't really like that. And again, you know, stay away from physical touching and, and, and just don't make people lose faces again. So I guess the kind of the last thing on our list here was like visas, taxes, stuff like that. And again, like I didn't work there. I was just a student there. They didn't have student visas. I don't believe they had any sort of work visa there. They just had tourist visas. There was no way for foreigners to open a bank account there or do any sort of business services whatsoever. But again, this was more than 10 years ago. And, and then like there was almost nothing to do at night in the city Monday through Thursday. I mean, it was a pretty sleepy town. So I imagine that things have changed a lot in Vietnam over the past decade. Yeah, they certainly have. And there are skyscrapers there now, and it's much more cosmopolitan, I think. Well, the next place we're going to go is somewhere I lived for two years, and that was Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And it's super different. Again, boy, it couldn't be any more different from the places we've talked about or kind of Indochina and Thailand and Myanmar mixed in. As you go here, and there's a mix of Indian Chinese and Malay. And those three ethnicities really make up the people that live there. And they're super different from one another. But things I found is that their English is generally way better than any of the countries I just mentioned. They're a bit more educated. They're certainly much more Western in their outlook and, and their working style as well. Yeah. And even like, I've never worked there, obviously, but I visited you at least once while you were living there. And I've gone to mm -hmm. Malaysia myself as a 
tourists on a, a bunch of times and and even just like their roads are are you know well sealed and nicely marked and the big signs showing you know what exit this is like is all it it feels much more like a western country in in many ways even though it's very distinctly asian like you were mentioning there's this indian chinese melee mix um so Mm. it's it's a very distinctive place i think malaysia is pretty cool i i think it was probably quite interesting to live there yeah it was interesting one thing and and do a deep dive if you're listening on this is that the Malays actually get a lot of breaks because from 40, 50 years ago, they wanted to ensure that the Malays didn't fall behind the rest of the populace. So they actually get like lower interest loans, their seats reserved in universities. Uh, you can get jobs and government agencies easier. And, and in modern times, that's really kind of not looked well upon by a lot of the other ethnicities. So it's weird, although there's three ethnicities and they're all Malaysians is you actually get an advantage based on your ethnicity, which is, is a very, very odd concept compared to any other country. Yeah, that is kind of strange. Um, but I know that uh, it is, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to really say weird. anything insensitive, but cause it's almost like, I wanted to say like, if you're giving preferential treatment to one group, it's kind of like you're discriminating against the other groups. That's what I didn't Absolutely. necessarily want to say, but uh, you know, I mean, you it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I never lived there. So I don't know. I, and, and, you know, that's an interesting thing that we haven't talked about yet was how you're treated as a foreigner. Because, like, you know, in Thailand or Cambodia or Vietnam, often as a foreigner, people are generally, like, nicer to you. They welcome you, welcome to our country, and they treat you differently as a foreigner. But I think that as a foreigner, you're treated differently amongst these different countries as well. How are you treated as a foreigner in, in Malaysia? Yeah, kind of like they don't care, and not in a bad way. But I you're think just another in, in, another one of the groups. You're you're just another person on the street. Whereas in in Thailand, Cambodia, and Laos, especially, I think you feel like you're liked more than you are because they smile and they're all about avoiding conflict. Whereas in Malaysia, like yeah, no one would bat an eye at you walking down the road or or anything. So that's yeah, that's a good point to bring that up. It's it's different. You know, a few little things about living there. Uh, they have lots of great expat accommodation. So I was living the expat life again, but great accommodation would be 30 to 40% less than Thailand. Fantastic value for money. Um, eating out and finding food, in one sense, yes, great because you have those three cuisines. You have Indian food, you have Chinese food, you have Malay food, but not the street culture food that there is in other countries so you've got to like walk to a proper food court and stuff i really always missed like somebody just selling cut fruit on the side of the road so there is great cuisine but you've got to go to the spot where the great cuisine is and getting around is the shits there compared to other places their metro is really limited it doesn't connect well to any other forms of public transport there's not motorcycle taxis and the taxis were generally old and dirty and they were always trying to scam you yeah yeah it seems like everybody has cars because like you guys lived in bukit kiara right and that's right like yeah and it's kind of far from like the city center like kl seems to be more of a spread out kind of city and people seem to have cars and they they drive to work and so most people seem to have their own transportation so rather than having to, to to take taxis people would just drive themselves yeah yeah, it is absolutely. It's, it's these kind of communities that are then connected by these windy highways everywhere. And you can't really 
walk between one or the other. Work culture-wise, you know, my experience was a bit limited. I dealt with the Canadian High Commission a bit, and I worked for the Malaysia Canada Business Council. But I visited a lot of other businesses with that job, and I found it was much more Western than the countries we've just talked about. Um, so people are pretty straightforward. English was the working language, but there's lots of holidays. Because you have those three ethnicities, they observe. It's something like 20 holidays annually a year. There's other considerations like people can leave on Friday for prayer time, which is early afternoon. And then times like Ramadan, that whole month of fasting, like GDP actually drops. And it's acknowledged by employers that you're just going to get less out of your employees because they have to get up and cook and eat their meal before the sun comes up. And then they don't even eat food or any water while it's daylight. So it's kind of acknowledged that during that Ramadan month that you know, people just aren't going to do as much. So that's that's really kind of curious. Hmm. Hey, what do you think about uh, guys who blow whistles to help cars uh, park or pick up people? From- <laughs> well, this is a random one you've thrown in here. And I know but I just remember that, that that used to bug you. Yeah, dude, everywhere. Like the building I just worked at, like two buildings, these office towers on opposite corners. There's just a guy waving his hand to like turn in or out of the building. Like it's completely obvious. And they just blow this loud whistle. And otherwise the atmosphere is pretty good, still loud from traffic. And then just some guy blowing a whistle. It's just (laughs) why like stop blowing the whistle. It's a random cultural thing that rubs you the wrong way. huh? How about like the visas and taxes and, and all that? Yeah, it was pretty straightforward. Certainly, you know, not as tough as Thailand, which we, I, I keep bringing up. But as long as you're there for the right reasons, you know, they make it, you know, you, f- you show your passports, you file your paperwork, it's done. Taxes are moderate. And they kind of deduct some money for some sort of like retirement savings plan, which you're supposed to be able to claim on your way out of the country. And I was never successful from getting that. But I think they certainly view getting outside talent Uh, as a lot easier and a benefit to the country. One thing they have more of there than say places like Thailand or Cambodia are foreign workers. Like a lot of people working as domestic help or at restaurants and malls and so forth are from Nepal or Indonesia and other countries. So they have a lot more foreign workforce that comes in. So maybe that's why it's a little easier going too. Um, But, you know, it kind of made me think this isn't terribly exciting, but just a a work story is that, you know, there was a few little food courts near where I worked and you could pick the food court you want. You could have Malay food, Chinese, Indian, whatever it was. But we had a Malay colleague and we could not go to a food court that had even one restaurant that served pork. So we would all get bored of the, the food court that only had halal food. And if she wasn't at work that day or sick, then we would all go to this other food court that had a couple Chinese food vendors that serve pork. And I always found that was kind of curious. Like you don't have to have the pork dish, but you couldn't even go to a food court that served any pork anywhere with that colleague. So that was that was just interesting. That is an interesting difference for sure. Okay. You have experience in Indonesia, right, Bali particularly? Run me through that. Yeah, I lived in Bali twice. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because well, the first time I went, I went to write a travel guidebook about Bali. So I didn't have like an office. I didn't have like your standard kind of traditional work experience. And and the second time was, was with Birvana. And I was in Jakarta for a little while, which was a totally different experience. And then, and then Bali, um, which I love. And living in Bali is such a 
a unique experience. I mean, Bali is such a, a unique place. Um, but uh, if we start with the people again, like the Balinese people are, are so amazingly friendly and, and so like trustworthy as well. Like my example was when I moved there the first time uh, I saw this shop that sold these awesome beach cruisers. So my Balinese friend drove me there and, um, it's like this cherry red beach cruiser with these white wall tires and it just it was Ooh. so conspicuous and it was so cool and I was like hey do you think I should like buy a lock for this thing and he's like what do you need a lock for just because he couldn't even imagine that a Balinese person would, would steal a bicycle you know and I'm like you know some Australian teenage surf punk kids and he's like oh yeah you should get a lock <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's kind of funny because like Bali is such a touristy place that like it sometimes it's hard to to separate your life from this 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 tourism experience that's occurring around you now of course like it's easy to get up country and go to parts of bali where there are no tourists which is incredibly special but for the most part when you're living there you know you're going to be in an area where there are lots of other expats who have been there for decades it's very international um but it's a a, a very welcoming place because the balinese people are, are are incredibly nice yeah i've limited experience i led training sessions at our office in bali as well as uh Jogjakarta. And my impressions of the people, they were kind of a bit like people from Myanmar in the sense that they had great English skills. Uh, they were a little more open than some of the Indochina countries, very switched on, hardworking, but also very soft and thoughtful in, in some respects. And I can't really go much deeper than that, but I always felt like I didn't have to be quite as cautious around them as maybe some other parts of Asia. And yeah, I always enjoyed it there. Yeah, very friendly. I mean, I found that like friendly is the right word because like, you know, you say like, oh, Thai people are friendly, like Khmer people are friendly. But like I found in Bali, especially with the Balinese, because Indonesia has so many different cultures within the country. But like Balinese people are many even other Indonesian people, they want to be your friend. Like when you meet someone, they're friendly in that like they want to know like about you and they want to become friends with you. And I, and I thought that that was really cool. So what was it like housing wise, finding a place to stay? Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, both times that guy, Ty, who I got the room from on Craigslist in Vietnam years earlier, he ended up moving to Bali and marrying a Balinese woman. And the second okay. time I ended up living in his house while he and his wife went off on their one year honeymoon. Um, and the other time I took over my friend Joey's house. Um, so both times I ended up adopting people's houses. But for the most part, that's what you get. You get some villa that's mostly open air and has some sort of outdoor shower and uh and and you share it with lots of insects generally because uh, bali's a, a big jungle island you know but uh i like the fact that you get a villa and that they're usually open air like these cool balinese style places there aren't any high rises there's no apartments there's nothing like that how about eating day to day yeah food was cool you know i was surprised how spicy balinese food could be um, you know, when you live in, in a touristy area, like you, you do find yourself often in like Semenyak or Ubud or Changu and, and those places have lots of good, like hippie food. Cause there's lots of hippies in Bali and there's lots of fancy restaurants. Like there's some really good restaurants that cater to tourists. But like, I remember when I was living at Ty's place, I found a, a place near where he lived that had just like, it, kind of like a buffet, you know, where you just point at different dishes and they, they pile it all. They actually wrapped it up in like a banana leaf kind of thing. And uh, they made some really spicy food. And I discovered, like, some amazing Balinese food. Um, again, compared, it's, it's different compared to, like, other Indonesian food, like from Java or Sumatra or, or these other dishes, which you could also find in Bali. So I just found uh, surprisingly good, surprisingly spicy, surprisingly cheap, and a great variety once you added in all the touristy and hippie places as well. 
How about getting around? That uh, can be a little bit more challenging. Um, you know, for the most part, you're gonna have to drive yourself, like because took not took ducks taxis. Taxis are pretty much on the hustle trying to scam foreigners. I found. I mean, they have Grab, but even like with Grab, like the Grab will drive past you three or four times and then might call you and say, "Nah, I'm not picking you up," because like local taxi mafias will call grabs and then beat the crap out of the drivers so like there's uh there's kind of a a sketchy taxi scene so for the most part you just rent a motorbike and you drive yourself but it's it's pretty mental man like it's got some of the craziest traffic in the world and there's only one rule and that is me first and even if it's like an 80 year old lady you get an 80 year old lady she's the nicest sweetest lady in the world as soon as she sits sits her butt on that motorbike seat look out it's me first and and she'll honk her horn and cut you off and like it can be pretty chaotic and a little bit scary too but uh, yeah you got to drive yourself around and, and, and it's, it's an adventure what about work culture customs yeah visa, taxes, that's different that again because like i didn't have like a proper job i guess with birvana i mean that was a proper job so those guys helped me get a visa and stuff but uh, the visa thing there can be kind of tricky i do remember that uh, you, you have to renew your visa like six months before it expires which is which is way early you know like i remember like the one time i think i only got like a six month visa and and i had to go and like renew it like the the same week that i applied for it because because it takes so long to to go through this process and then if you don't have a job your visa run is getting on an airplane and, and flying to bangkok or malaysia or something like that you know so like indonesia being an island nation has its challenges for people who are just trying to like wing it um, or just show up and live there for a while. Um, so there, there are a few more hurdles to go through uh, to get your visas and, and it can be a little bit more challenging as I understand it. Um, but it wasn't too bad. Otherwise, you know, I, I didn't, I don't know much about the, the official work culture or customs or everything, except that like, again, like Bali is a pretty chilled out place. So, so, you know, you don't see anybody in suits, even like, I remember, you know, before I moved to Asia uh, in Hawaii, like you'd wear like, you can wear shorts to work in Hawaii. That's totally normal, you know? And I remember one time talking to some Balinese person about that. And they're like, why would you wear pants to work? They, they just thought it was crazy. <laughs> so, like, they have that kind of island mentality where, like, it's just like, God, it's too hot to wear pants. Why would you do that? You know? And I'm like, ah, I know. <laughs> so the last country we'll go into depth in is one only you have lived in. But I almost forgot you ever lived there. Tell us about Seoul, Korea. What were the people like? Yeah, and actually, didn't you do a like a, one of those maps? Didn't you update a map in Seoul? I, I updated a guide map, but I was there for yeah. five days, I think. So I don't think I can really comment on living there. Yeah, I did three summers. I did uh, ten weeks twice and six weeks once, uh, teaching like SAT, SAT two, like test prep to Korean kids that were going to go to school in America. So that was quite an interesting experience. So doing it three summers gave me, I think a fair amount of insight on what it was like to live there. Um, but it was, it was challenging. I mean, the, the people, it was difficult to meet people. It was difficult to make friends. Um, I think in large part because of the language barrier, like in Seoul, there are not a lot of people who speak English. Um, or if they do, they don't, use it you know when you go to restaurants to eat like the menus aren't in english they're in korean which uses its own alphabet so mm-hmm. it, it can be difficult to to order food um you know there's the language barrier everyone's busy including me we work six days a week 
you worked hard and uh and everyone else did and and people i guess stuck to their their clicks it, it wasn't a, a great place to to meet new people housing wise i was shocked when i first found this out but in seoul you need to pay a two-year security deposit that's nuts i know and the rent is not cheap i mean we we our office was in gangnam um which is one of the newest parts of the city and there's a song uh, about it i believe there is yeah <laughs> uh, so i lived in gangnam three times and uh, we were very lucky because i was a teacher you know but i was working for for kaplan which is a big test international test prep company and uh, so they hooked us up and they got us some pretty cool like nice apartments i had to share an apartment with some other kaplan teachers but like i know that other teachers were living in crappy little dorm rooms because their companies weren't going to pay two-year security deposits whereas like my company had a little bit more sway perhaps because maybe some landlord's child got a deal on a kaplan class or something like that you know so right, right. i mean we lived in gangnam which is a very modern city um we had the very modern apartment one of the first things we did when we got there was you go to Costco. They had Costco in Seoul and you just loaded up your shopping cart with all this food that you were going to cook yourself for breakfast and, and, and often dinner. But otherwise, you know, we were there to work and we worked our butts off six days a week and, uh, and, and you, you go out to eat and drink after work. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a very, it was a very different experience. And what's it like getting around thinking of getting to and from work and stuff? Yeah, um, getting around like we, we took the subway for the most part. We just lived a few stops from the from our office. But again, like Bangkok, like you know that that commute in the morning with the train just like jam stuffed with with people. Um, that's what it was like. You know, sometimes you couldn't even get on the train because it was so crowded. And and then when you did, like everybody's wearing a suit, and it was almost like they slept in their suits because you could smell like the booze <laughs> on everybody. Yeah. And even like after you got off the train, sometimes it'd be like dudes passed out like on the sidewalk from the night before, puke on the ground. Like it was pretty crazy. But like I understood why because like we worked like at least ten hour days, six days a week, and when you got off work, we'd go to some like barbecue like korean food's amazing right so you'd go to like some korean barbecue and then you drink soju and and eat barbecue until you were like hammered and full and then you went home and you passed out and then you got up in the morning and and you did it all over again and that seems to be what what uh, the culture was like there in the city how about yeah eating and finding food yeah the food is amazing i mean like you know, Thai food in Thailand is definitely better than Thai food you're going to get in, in America or Canada. But the same thing is true of Korean food. Like, I love Korean food. You can get some really good Korean food in Bangkok, but the Korean food in Korea is amazing. Like I said, it would it's challenging to order sometimes because the menus weren't in English and I can't speak Korean. Um, but they had amazing food. And, and because of the very business-like culture, especially in Gangnam, um, you know, there, there was like, when you go to lunch, they had lunch sets. It was very like, let's get these people in, let's get these people fed, let's get these people back to work kind of thing, you know? So mm. it was very efficient, but lots of times you were pressed, like you're like, I got to eat fast so that I can get back to work because the business culture there was a bit more strict. You weren't going to be late for work. You were going to be dressed nicely. You weren't going to come back late from lunch. You were going to stay until the end of your shift. And then you were going to go out and eat some yummy barbecue and drink a bunch of soju and then <laughs> pass out and do do it all over again. Cycle. Yeah. So you've 
touched on a fair bit of work culture, but what about the dress and punctuality and stuff? Yeah, like I said, yeah, you gotta you gotta dress nicely, you gotta shave, you gotta do your paperwork correctly. You know, like I worked six days a week, but uh, we got paid very well. And uh, as a teacher, one of the great things was I think we only paid three percent tax. I think teachers in in Korea only pay three percent, which is great. I mean. Teaching should be incentivized in other countries, as far as I believe, you know. But the customs and cultures were very much more serious. And, you know, I'm a foreigner, so I don't necessarily understand them. But uh, like we were saying with other countries, like you don't get any slack for being a foreigner in Seoul, like you might okay. in Thailand. Like in Thailand, you know, they're like, he, he, silly foreigner. He doesn't understand our ways in, in Korea. They may not say stupid foreigner but you can read it like some of their faces are like oh, what's wrong with this guy he's just like you know and then you know I, I don't know what the hell i'm doing right so i almost deserve it sometimes but like it was it was a bit more challenging i think how about a day off trevor story yeah days off i mean seoul is a beautiful amazing city um, i imagine there's cool stuff outside the city but seoul's like massive and there's some really cool neighborhoods uh in some ways it reminded me of tokyo in that like there's like the old quarter there's like these old ruins and temples and like you know like the the old palaces from like hundreds of years ago and there was some really cool sights to see. Um, but again, we only got like one day off a week. So it was like Saturday night after we got off work. Lots of times we'd go down to Itaewon. And Itaewon is kind of like the the foreigner neighborhood where they have like the Woodstock style rock and roll bars and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and, and we'd blow a bunch of money drinking, which is expensive. It was expensive to drink and party in, in Seoul. Um, but then every Sunday I'd go to the casino and you get free food at the casino. And, and almost without doubt, I won back the money that I spent drinking the night before. So, uh, yeah, party in Itaewon on Saturday night, hit the casino on Sunday, back to the office Monday morning. It was, I was there to work, not to, to enjoy myself. Well played. Well played. Well, just to kind of round out this episode, I'm, I'm just going to give a quick brush on some other countries I've done a bit of, of work in. I, I led tours in Nepal a number of times. And, you know, while I don't know the formal work culture, Nepalis I engaged with, amazing how many of them speak English really, really mm. well, hardworking. Again, I think when you come from these poor, mismanaged countries, People know it's up to them. Like they either make their lot in life or they, they fall behind. So super hardworking, nice food. I mean, it's a developing country. It's a third world country. So you can't just eat street food, but I enjoyed it. The polar opposite of that is leading trainings in Japan, which I did in Tokyo a few times. Mm. And the Japanese are all about being t on time. In fact, if you're on time, you're kind of late. Like yeah. you have to be early. And they're overly formal too, like suits, ties, formal dress, super, super formal and things, but very, very polite to respectful of one another, respectful of space, clean, super hyper organized, but like Seoul, you see the people after work getting blottoed and like you Seoul, see yeah. people like passed out in the street the next day. And I always thought it was funny as convenience stores there sell socks, you know, a cheap West dress or a cheap white dress shirt, underpants, because people might have just ducked in to a ducked into a capsule hotel because the trains stop at say midnight, slept in a capsule, they gotta go to work. So they'll go to the convenience store, pick up some undies, some socks, a shirt. Huh. And and so it's so weird and how it's so formal in one aspect and then people lose their minds 
uh, in the nighttime sometimes. I would like to live and work in Japan sometime, and not necessarily in Tokyo. And I understand there's definitely like huge language barriers in Japan as there is in Korea. Like many Japanese people do not speak English and, and many signs and whatnot are, are not in English as well. Um, but I do like, I appreciate the, the Japanese style of, of, of doing a business and, and, and the seriousness with which they take it. But also like I, I, from my understanding, like it's, it's not that difficult for foreigners to, to live there or own a business or own a home or things like that, which I think is kind of interesting. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, it's not. But another thing actually on, on that is they work till late and they work long hours and they often start later, like 9, 10 a.m. they start, but they'll go to 7, 8 p.m. and even work late, like long, late work hours is kind of the norm there. Uh, very high suicide rate as a result, actually. China, I've done some training a few times, can't really comment on it, except that Chinese not unfriendly, but didn't really seem to care if you were a white guy coming or going or walking down the street. It's just, you know, keep going, crank on. Uh, Myanmar, I led trainings in Yangon a number of times, and I always found the people there super friendly, very respectful in the business world. Pretty darn good English again there. They've had a They've had a hard road and right now with the coup, they're going through it again. So they were, you know, working hard, asking good questions to, to get a leg up. And then Singapore, again, a bit of experience leading some trainings there. I mean, you might as well be in the West. You could be in London. You could be in New York. You could be anywhere. It's very modern. But you've got to be aware of some of those Asian sensibilities, you know, taking shoes off, being aware of, you know, temples, statues, things like that. So super mm. modern in, in the business dealings. But just with that bit of Asian culture, you still have to be very aware of. I've always been interested in, in living in Singapore. And I've had friends that have lived there. And uh, one of my ex-girlfriends lived there for a while. So I've spent quite a bit of time in Singapore with people who have lived there. And uh, I've always been kind of interested in it. I know that the average American expat salary is six figures. So like you do get paid well if you live in Singapore. But it's incredibly expensive. I mean, again, you're talking rent in the thousands of dollars sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to live there sometime, sometime too. And then the last place, I know we've both done a bit of work in, in Laos. I've just led trainings in Vientiane mostly. And, you know, we're back to kind of Indochina, Thailand and that very soft, nice people, slow in a good way, right? Just, yeah. just very sabai and not going to rush, not going to get stressed out about things. And I guess the only thing there is I, I kind of wish they, did ask a few more questions and like some of their neighbors did. Yeah. You know, the funny thing for me was, uh, I, I almost, I used to spend like up to a month at a time in Luang Prabang. Like sometimes when I was working on a writing project, I'd get all my research and whatnot done and I needed a nice quiet place to, to write. And Luang Prabang is one of the best quiet places to write that you can imagine, you know? So I became mm -hmm. friends with a man there who had a couple of different business interests and he was trying to convince me to, to live there and, and go into business with him. And, and, and then one day he's like, so are you ready to marry a Lao woman? <laughs> and I was like, mm. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it. And, and he's like, oh, well, you need to. Like, it was a prerequisite that, like, if you were going to live and work in Laos, you needed to have a Lao wife. So he's like, I'll, you know, my wife uh, will have some friends over. She'll invite her sisters over. And, and you can pick which one you like. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to just pick somebody for a wife so that I could live and work here. Uh, um, but I, I kind of like, it, it is such a... 
they're a very open and honest and, and candid people. Uh, you know, another example like that was a, a friend of mine. I don't remember who it was had lost one of their best employees. He's like, I'm quitting, you know, I, and, and the guy's like, no, you can't quit. Like, I need you. You're, you're great. And he's like, what are you going to do? Like, I'll match whatever salary someone else is offering you. And he's like, oh no, I don't have another job. I'm just going to go home and grow vegetables. And that was it, you know, he was, he was going to be happy growing vegetables. And, and I love the, 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 you know, the honest simplicity of, of the Lao people. Yeah. Well, we have covered a lot of territory and this is officially by far now our longest episode ever. We're well over an hour Wow! and it's been fun to reflect upon all these experiences we've had in these different countries. I didn't count them, but we, we must have hit a dozen countries and, you know, I think we both touched on, we'd like to live in Japan. So any kind of closing thoughts, Trevor? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy here. I have been like floating some applications in Bangkok and in, Singapore, not so much Vietnam. Um, you know, I'd be interested in coming back to Bangkok just because I miss all my people there. And, and Bangkok is just, it's one of the best cities in the world to live in, I think. Again, just because it's so central, it's so easy to, to come and visit Cambodia or Vietnam or Laos or everywhere that's around it. And just, I think, of all of the places I've, I've lived or even visited in Asia, Bangkok it's a love hate place for me because sometimes living there, it drives me crazy and I just need to get out, but then it's easy to get out. And then after I'm away for a while, I'm like, God, I miss Bangkok and I miss all the, the Thai food and the convenience of how easy it is to get around and how easy it is to do so many things. So, you know, like you may find me back in Bangkok here, uh, someday soon, but, uh, for the time being, uh, I'm happy here in Phnom Penh. Yeah, you've hit all the points on Bangkok. I'm very happy here. I, I Now that I'm older, I think I wouldn't mind the Singapore experience for a bit. Japan would be neat. It's probably never going to be happen, but it's uh, neat. These places are so different from one another, and it, it's great we've had the opportunity to, to be so many places. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, again, we'd really appreciate it if you help support the show. And thank you to all of our patrons that do. Austin, you're getting the shout-out on this one again. Go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel. Asia, you can sponsor the show from as little as a dollar a month or upwards. But if you donate more, hey, we'll send you a postcard. We'll give you a shout out. You get bi-weekly in between these episodes, you know, links to little videos, short little special episodes Trevor and I do. Like, rate, review the show. Trevor, why don't you take us out of the longest episode of Talk Travel Asia? Yeah, I'll make it a little bit longer here. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, you know, a little bit of a different topic this week, but uh, something we hadn't discussed. And we have a bunch of cool new episodes lined up. I'm still really excited about the guests that we've been having on the show. And uh, I hope you tune in again in two weeks when uh, we have a new guest. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Camp